outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Well, I had some fun last Friday. Oh, you did? What did you do last Friday? My grandson came over, his 13th birthday, and he wants to spend it at my house. How about that? A 13-year-old wants to go and hang out at grandpa's house and grandma's house. Nice. Okay. I'm not sure we were the draw. I think the puppy and Zoe were the draw. Those are his (laughs) best friends outside of his other friends who, because it's a four-day weekend, a holiday weekend, they were all out of town. So Ah. he he was limited in who he could access that. But he wanted to come over here. And so as part of coming over here... Partly through the afternoon, he said, let's watch a movie. I said, okay, what do you want to watch? And he usually has like 15 movies he wants to watch. But he said, I don't know. I want to watch something new. We ended up watching The Matrix is what we ended up watching, which he had never seen before. And I thought, this will be interesting because it's it's got a little gun shoot em up stuff. So that makes him happy. But it's it's a rugged movie. But he was ready to bite off the, the movie. But he got lost in what it was about. Those who haven't seen the movie, it's uh, this illusionary world that uh, all humans have been trapped into by the machines who use them for batteries versus those who see through that and see the real world. And that's that's a pretty painful journey, right? Yeah. So he got lost about the time we got to the red pill, blue pill. And so I turned to him. I said, oh. So I explained it all to him. We paused it. I explained what was going on. He goes, okay, okay. And then we're watching it. And as Neo goes down the darker road of the, blue, the red pill... Austin turns to me and he goes, what pill was that again that makes you see everything? I said, red pill. He goes, blue pill, blue pill, blue pill, as he points to himself. (laughs) And that made my heart hurt. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) At 13, he would prefer, and I looked at him and said, you'd prefer Mm. to live a lie to sing the truth. He said, yeah, if the truth's like that. And... I, I understand why 13-year-old, I'm not devastated by his choice of that, but I do know people hmm. who continue in the face of truth coming close to their hearts wouldn't take the red pill if it was hidden in a chocolate cake, man. They're going to go <laughs> after the blue pill every time. I don't want the truth to be the truth, or I don't want to see hmm. the truth because then I have to navigate the truth, and I'd just rather live a comfortable lie then be disturbed by something that's true that's going to cause me to grow. And that could lead to actually one of the best things I heard last week. I'm Wayne Jacobson, by the way. And I'm Kyle Rice. And I want to welcome you to this edition of The God Journey. If I can find this quote, because I love this from a friend of mine, Mike, in Ohio. And he wrote me about some of the things we've been talking about, being out of control, some of those not having control in relationships, those kind of things. And Mike's had a very painful past, and yet, He's the way Jesus has navigated him into living more freely, though it's very different from how most of us see it. But he he wrote this to some of the kids. He works in a for all the trauma that he's been through as a kid, and it's been it's extreme, torturous would be the description of it. And now he works with kids that are deeply troubled. And as they get ready to leave the program, this is one thing he says: I tell my kids that if their counseling does not offend, scare, and challenge them. In uncomfortable ways, do not have a very good counselor. Making healthier Mm. choices for themselves can feel scary, and we lose the sense of control that we create in the way we live, even if those ways are unhealthy. Man, I love that. Because I can see it in ways, you know, people, I want my thoughts about things. And sometimes I give them the thought, and particularly the ones that are a little bit disturbing, you can see 
blue pill, blue pill, blue pill. I do not <laughs> want to go down that road. And yet yeah. I know that life is down that road. Life is always mm. at the end of truth. It's do we have enough of God's love in us to help us risk what's true, mm. to find the freedom that only truth can provide? And that's, that's a struggle still in our day. And I think it's worse in our day than when I was younger. It's people intentionally. I remember when I went through that uh, breakup with my co-pastor friend guy about 30 years ago now. And I remember one of our cl mutual close friends came up to me and said, listen, I don't want to know what happened between you and Mark. And I said, then you never will. Because I'm not uh -huh. going to invite you to that space if you're not willing to go. And he yeah. didn't want to know. And that was it. That, the friendship was over at that point. Not from my standpoint. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just... I don't know what it was for him, but even my attempts to contact him after that didn't get responses back. Mm. And I went, wow, he didn't want to know. I would think ostensibly to preserve both relationships, but it didn't do it. It didn't preserve mm. it. I didn't need him to know to be my friend, but something happened there. And I, I am concerned about people. I know the blue pill is so comforting. Just keep seeing life the way it is and all that. But oh, it's devastating. If you're not willing to see what's true... And that's just, that's just not gospel talk. That's just true about yeah. what's going on around your life to see the truth of it rather than the neat little boxes we kind of put it in and pretend it's nice when it's not. Or I think even of Cypher, right, who is the one who's willing to, he's in the midst of the crew that has taken the red pill and he is done. He's weary. He's tired of the fight. And the challenge that's going on there. And so he goes to one of the sentinels and says, I want, I want the blue pill. I want to be reintegrated back into the matrix. I don't want to remember anything. And I'm willing to be able to betray my friends and the people that I love, the community that I have in order to be able to go back into that space where I don't have to experience it, that I can be in that comfort oblivion and never have to encounter this again. Yeah, sad, because he, he even holds a piece of steak in his hand or something, right? And he says, I know this isn't steak, but it tastes yeah. like steak, so I don't care. Yes, I know this isn't real. I know this is just my, this is just an electrical pass that's telling my body that this is supposed to taste good. And yet that was the direction that he wanted to go. There's nothing that makes my heart hurt more, I don't think, than people who want to stay in an illusion to defend their sense of safety or joy because it's false. Mm. It, it, it won't serve them well in the long haul, but it makes my heart sad because it really constructive things end when I actually choose an illusion over the reality, or, or I just don't want to know. What I have admired about Sarah, and I've said this a lot, when, this, when it came up where her trauma was based, Sarah has been unrelenting in whatever comes up, I want to know the truth about it, and I want to deal mm. with it. I want to make it part of my story. And I, I I admire that kind of courage. I think that's the people that move toward healing. And people yeah. who find their own comfort more important than what's true don't get to go down that road. And it's frustratingly mm. sad for me to watch people continue to go around the mountain and come to that point of, okay, here's where truth has access to your heart, and they choose not to give it access. And they prefer the darkness of an illusion to the risk of the light. And I mm. guess that's probably undergirds God's compassion for the whole human race and the age of, all, of the whole ages of our life has chosen to believe a lie. 
a comforting lie over taking the risk to see what's true and find our way to life. See, as I hear you talking about that, I like when you talked about the trading it for the illusion of it, one of the thoughts that came to my mind or the word that stuck out to my mind was the dream of safety and joy. Jess and I went down and we did some stuff with our family this weekend, this last weekend, and we had a celebration of life for Jess's grandpa that passed away. And, and in the midst of that, there was some very challenging things that got highlighted for me. Mm. And the, the best thing that I heard fell into the category of, I had some alone time with father and I actually had just gotten done talking to a, a couple of clients and I was just sitting there thinking about the weekend and wanting to get on a good page so that I could connect with Jess and be a support for her. And my question to father was like, God, why do we do this to ourselves? Why do, I mean, why do Jess and I do this to ourselves? And more pointedly, why do I do this to myself? Why do I, why do I still do this to myself? And, and I kind of paused and why do I allow myself or why do, why do people allow themselves to be bulldozed over by relationships and people that they love. What is, what is going on there? Why, why am I okay with myself being bulldozed for the sake of other people? What do you mean by bulldozed? So by that, I mean, when, when my body, so talking about, you know, the body keeps the score. So my body is telling me either through stress, anxiety, other cues, panic attacks, whatever it might be, dreams, whatever it might be, my my body is telling me that whatever I'm about to go and do or I'm going to step into or what I'm about to say yes to is going to take me outside of my window of tolerance. That's going to push me outside of my window of tolerance. And instead of me acknowledging that and honoring that and then making decisions accordingly, I ignore it and I bulldoze right over it. So either I bulldoze it or other people bulldoze it by running over it, ignoring it. What I mean by bulldozing is ignoring those cues that I'm moving outside of a healthy space. I'm moving outside of a grace-filled space. I'm moving out of my window of tolerance into a different space and usually it's because of the expectations of a relationship. And I found for me, like I find myself doing this a lot when it comes to family, that this is something that I, I am predisposed to violating or trespassing on myself mm-hmm. for the sake of my family and for the sake of my family's convenience, for the sake of my family's comfort. And by that, I mean my extended family, not necessarily my nuclear family, but mm-hmm. my extended family. Part of it ties back into this this dream or this idea of the type of relationship that I want to have or this hope of this type of relationship that could be had. I'm still really wrestling with what is it about that situation that I am willing to compromise my own well-being and even the well-being of my immediate family for the sake of either expectations or even perceived. They might not have any idea that they're putting that kind of pressure on me or that I'm feeling that kind of pressure from them. They may have no clue, but I'm succumbing to it. Whatever it might be, I'm ignoring what my heart is telling me, what my body is telling me, and I'm compromising or trespassing on myself for the sake of other people. 
And why do we do that? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. What, what do we do? Like what predisposed, like, why do I go there? What is the benefit of ignoring those internal cues and those gifts that I think God places in our lives, in our hearts, and then allowing my mind or my thoughts to supersede that and just blow right by them? What? I mean, what is going on there? I, I'm just like, I'm just baffled, honestly. Well, for those of you who haven't read uh, The Body Keeps the Score, a window of tolerance is language that's used about when I'm able to process my life inside my prefrontal cortex, right? You're, you're the yeah. expert on this, Kyle. But yep. as yep. I understand it, it's and, and trauma pushes us outside our window of tolerance. If we've had trauma, or it, can, it doesn't even necessarily be trauma. It can just be difficult situations where, on the one hand, we become hyper-aroused, which is mm-hmm. on threat, alert, and stat, and just you know, hyperactivity, whatever, it's pushed us to that level, fight or flight yep. kind of responses. Or the other side of it is it's hypo aroused, which is our body just shuts down. We dissociate, we get sleepy, tired, we can't keep functioning. What's interesting is that they, the people who deal with trauma, they say stay inside that window of tolerance. If you find yourself outside of it, don't try to deal with your trauma out there or your hyper yeah. or hypo aroused. Don't try to deal with it out there. Stay inside that. You used a phrase a couple of years ago, I think, on the podcast. We were sorting out some of this with Sarah about honoring your trauma, mm-hmm. which I think this really speaks to. Do you honor where you're currently at in your journey or do you let other people's expectations set the course for your journey? And it, it's easy to see why we do that because we all want to be liked. We all want to be, don't want to be marginalized. And if people have expectations of us, we try and meet them. That's just normal. Add yeah. family to that. And now there's the Norman Rockwell idea of what the family should look like, a nuclear family and the extended family all sitting around a table laughing. And, and I've had seasons like that in my family. They've just been great. Mm-hmm. It is great when you get together, everybody's doing well. But where there's dysfunction, like I think about now, if if Sarah's perpetrators were still alive, would we go to Thanksgiving dinner at Sarah's family's house with the people who were part of her? And I'll tell you, Sarah would not go and I would not take mm. her. That, that would be true from both of us because she she's really learned to say, OK, this stage of life, you need to invite people into your life that you want to be there and don't feel forced to have anyone in your life that pushes the bounds of the, the window of tolerance that you're dealing with yeah. in life. Now, the thing to add to this to that is as a Christian, we're always taught to lay down our lives. That's not about you. And family is the most important. <laughs> if your family's sick and warped and you need to be there as a witness. And we're always taught that something like honoring our brokenness or honoring our pain mm-hmm. or honoring our trauma is an act of selfishness. Yes. And that's absolutely. what I've noticed from everybody I talk to. It, it doesn't matter if the pressure is coming from outside or not. The pressure that comes from inside is, I don't feel like I can be there. And if I'm yeah. going to be there, it's going to be very painful for me. But that's very selfish. I just need to suck it up and go anyway, make the best of it and come home. And I probably think 99% of humanity errs on that side of these things. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing for me is, I, I caught myself just shaking my head this weekend in regard as I was, as this was unfolding in front of me. And as I'm honestly in the middle of some very painful situations as a result of it and thinking about, okay, there wasn't a need for me to dishonor 
my trauma and to dishonor some of the stuff that's in my wife's life or to dishonor. For example, with my family, I've got some wonderful, I love my relationships with my family and I've been getting better at recognizing, okay, I'm moving outside of my window of tolerance and it's okay for me to say no here. I will not be completely dismissed because I'm a fawner at nature. I mean, that's that's how I dealt with my trauma situation was fawning. And describe that because I use that term about Sarah and people go, what's fawning? So fawning is the, the very simplistic version. And this is why it gets missed a lot of the time is it's people pleasing. So what it is, is it is trying to please the threat so that the threat ignores you, whatever, wherever the threat is coming from, whatever the, whoever the perpetrator of that threat is, you do whatever you can do to try to reduce that person's either emotional state, their anger, you try to please them, whatever it is to try to lower their emotional state so that they are no longer a threat to you. So, and it nine times out of 10 is expressed through a, some form of people pleasing. It's not unlike Stockholm syndrome, right? No, it's not. Very much so. I'm pleasing the threat so the threat doesn't act out toward me because people who are very controlling, they've got all kinds of punishments to heap on the people that don't do what their expectations demand that they do. I've got that in my own family situation that we've talked about in, in recent weeks, where the expectations are set by people who are actually doing the hurting and the harming. And then they ask you to do what's right in a Jesus-y kind of expectational way that's destructive, not just to me, if I go along with it, it's also destructive to them. Absolutely. So is it gracious at times to take ourselves out of situations that create that kind of environment? I absolutely think it is. But it's Mm -hmm. a hard choice to make. You know if you're going to suffer. Like, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians do what they do out of guilt. Yes. They don't like guilt. They don't want to be motivated by guilt. But it's worse living with guilt for three days if you didn't follow the guilt and just do the thing on Sunday morning that you you would feel guilty for if you didn't. So you yeah. go, and then it doesn't really do much, but it's better than having that guilt thing hang over you for three days afterwards. Like, I've really dishonored God, or I really didn't, I really exempted myself from his grace or mercy or care. And I, I think it's the lies of that kind of punishment. And controlling people are punishing people, no doubt about it. Yes. Like that was the best thing I heard last week was if the people can't control you, they'll control how people perceive you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and being gossiped <laughs> about in your family is is no big yeah. deal. But you're talking about an end of life celebration for grandpa. I mean, that's how can you miss that, right? Yeah. And, and feel like you've dishonored the dead or whatever. I didn't go to my own father's service and I didn't yeah. go because I want to dishonor my dad. I, I honor my dad every way I can do it. It was the people that were going that I would have had to pin with that mm-hmm. created this situation. We're all going to sit around a Jesus atmosphere and smile and make nice. And I just can't do that pretend thing. I just can't do it. Mm. If I'm going to go, I'm going to be honest. And if I'm going to be honest, it's going to hurt other people. So I'm very content to say I can honor my dad without being there. And I don't need to be there for people who have been very hurtful and destructive, who willfully lied to my dad about me for whatever gain they could gain in it. So I I didn't go. 
And I, I'm mm. sure <laughs> if I was still in touch with that wing of my family, I'm sure I would get a whole lot of, uh, wow, he didn't even care enough about his dad to show up at the funeral. And that didn't have any, it, it wasn't really a funeral. It was just kind of a tag on to a Sunday morning service anyway. But yeah, the family protocols and even quote unquote religious protocols are, and it's about all the rhetoric. What I am getting from that is, is the cold shoulder. Yeah. The fact is, I don't see it because I'm not around it. So whatever, if you care about what people think of you like that, then that's going to yeah. devastate me. I happen to say these people are not honest people. They're not kind people. They're not gracious people. So that they want to get around in their little club and talk Wayne down because of what they did, what they tried to do and succeeded in separating my father from me. I'm not mm -hmm. celebrating that with anybody. And, it's not, and that's not even a window of tolerance issue for me. It's just... Yeah. Do I want to be in an environment that's going to make nice about something that wasn't nice at all, that was unkind and mean, and the, the, all the protocols of religion are honor your dad, hug your brothers and sisters, cry together, you know, make this fantasy look real when it's not real. And that, I think that's the thing is, is the, that I was just kind of wrestling with is like, okay, I... I want there to be genuine relationships. And, and like you said, in regards to if I show up there at that situation, I'm not going to be able to make nice. I'm not going to play along with this. I'm not going to get in line here. And I think that even that I think is staying within your window of tolerance. If I'm going into these situations where it's causing me to, I know that it's going to compromise. It's going to ask me to trespass on myself or to trespass on my family, my immediate family. It's like, okay, I, I don't want to go there. Like that's, if that's the expectation, or I know that I'm going to be asked to do that or get along and be nice, you know, one of the two, either the truth isn't helpful and would be destructive, or I'm going to have to fake it and get along and play nice. Then I can't do that either because that's me being inauthentic. That's, and if I, for me, especially if I'm being inauthentic, there's just something inside of me that gets really stirred up by that. And, and I feel trapped. I feel suffocated if I'm asked to play a role and I go along with that role. And yet sometimes I still find myself in the middle of that space where I recognize, oh my gosh, I'm playing a role that I should not be playing and my body is responding very viscerally to me playing this role and it's interesting to me because i think my especially the more that i've learned about trauma and the more that i've learned about the way that god uses our bodies to be able to communicate his truth to us that like that has been really disruptive to me because my mind can justify and overturn and try to rationalize me doing this. And yet my body, it'll tell me the truth. It like, it'll be like, no, that's not a good idea. And, and I can either choose to completely override it. Like the urine yuck meter, right? There, there's like an internal visceral physical reaction when my yuck meter is getting triggered. And then I can either choose to ignore that, blow it off and just keep going. Or I can choose to listen to it and say, okay, what's going on here that I'm having that internal response to that, Father, what are, what are you inviting me into here? What is your spirit trying to get across to me that my mind might be trying to justify or ignore or placate, but my body's not willing to go there? 
Well, this is a scale too, right? Of how yes. intense that is. Can you can you yes. go to a family gathering that's not necessarily your preference to go and make nice with family? That's easy. Totally. If the family dysfunction, if there's a like in Sarah's case, if there's a perpetrator in the midst and one who somehow violated you in some way and the family presses you to go and make nice. Now that's a whole different level, right? That's not just, yes. Hey, it's Christmas. Let's go enjoy. Even though these are not my favorite people to spend time with, let's go spend time with them anyway. That it's a very different, there's a gradation here of what, it, what it costs and, and what it says. I don't think most people are in touch with their bodies like you are. I, mm-hmm. I know Sarah has not been her body's been screaming at her for years about what's going on. And she, she didn't know. So she, she had the amnesia, so she's missing it. Now she's very in touch with her body and she can just look at me and saying, I can't do that. And I'm going, what? And it's because something has fired in her physical senses, something she yeah. doesn't even know why it fired, but because it does, there was a series we were watching on TV and there was an episode where she said, I'm not watching this anymore. I said, why? It's just, it's triggering something. I don't even know what, but I'm done. And it's a TV show. So it's no big deal. We don't have to watch it anymore. Yeah. We've been really, and I think Christianity, religions teach us to ignore our body and do the right thing. Yeah. And I think yeah. what we want to hopefully instill in people is the godly thing is to honor what you know to be true. If your body is telling you don't go there, it's not godly to override that and go anyway. And yet we think it is. It's unselfish. It's uh, laying down my life. That's not what laying down your life means. Well, and often doesn't that get branded as the flesh? That's your body. You need to kill the flesh. Like, like that's the flesh. That's your old self. Like, you know, just ignore that. You need to, you need to get that in line with what the spirit says versus recognizing that it's another way that God can very intentionally connect us with where his kingdom is at and nudge us in a direction that, that would lead toward more wholehearted living and actually honoring where God has us and where his space is for us. And that's the appropriate use of boundaries, right? But there's nothing that ticks off controlling people more than talking about your boundaries. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. I can't do that. And it's like, what's wrong with you? And you think we're bad people. And I mean, just the way controlling people manipulate folks. That's why they get to dominate. That's why people who've been traumatized get dominated in situations around them, which only feeds the trauma. And so part of that honoring your trauma, your brokenness, your freedom, it doesn't have to be trauma, but just, I can override my system and go and do that anyway, but then I'm going to pay for it for weeks afterwards. Yeah. Of internal anguish, sleepless nights, panic attacks, however that manifests itself in, in various people. And I I love that Sarah and I are learning how to live inside that window of tolerance for her. And and when she gets out of it, the goal is to get back in it. The goal is not to learn to live outside of it. That's kind of the creepy yes. thing we've oh done. Gosh. Yeah, just learn. It's for the for the sake of family and for the sake of looking good. And we want our family to look. I mean, all the priorities, whether it's like I said, whether it's congregational families or nuclear or extended families, always looking good is more important than being real. It's always blue pill over red pill. Always. So how would you approach, if you sense that Sarah was not listening to that, that she was not honoring that? So say you have, you're watching your partner, whether it be Jess watching me or me watching Jess or mm-hmm. whoever's listening to this, you're watching your spouse or your partner ignore their and and trespass on themselves 
for the sake of this, uh, what these other expectations looking good, et cetera. And it's killing them. What do you, how do you navigate that? Because for me, like, I can't even imagine when Jess watches me do that for, you know, either friends or family. I know, well, I know that she has a hard time with it because she expresses it. She said, I don't like watching you do that. When you do that to yourself, I hate seeing you do that to yourself. But it's a very sensitive topic too, to be able to bring your, your spouse or your partner's attention to that, to draw their attention to that, especially in the moment when they've already maybe stepped a foot outside of their window of tolerance. And now they're trying to live in that and they're no longer in their prefrontal cortex. They're not in their front brain anymore. Mm. How do you be a good partner as they're learning to do that, as they're learning to honor themselves, as they're learning to honor that window of tolerance in a more kind and Christ-like way? The first thing is I don't ever mind bringing it up and saying, are we okay here, babe? Are you inside Mm. your window of tolerance just pushing you beyond it? And if, and if she's saying, you know, it does a little bit, but I really think I should. And, you know, there's, I, I'm not her policeman, so I'm not mm-hmm. looking to make that decision for her. I don't mind bringing her information that maybe will make a different choice for her. But if that doesn't work, then I'm going to look at how do we mitigate the damage here? So if you want to go, mm-hmm. maybe the family's got Airbnb set up or they've got somebody picking us up at the airport that's not the best. Then I will say, OK, we're going to rent a car. We're going to get a hotel room. We're going to take some distance from the drama around the event because we really want to go to the event. So I'm going to offer Sarah those kinds of options. Because usually yeah. these things, I think people who've had trauma, they don't see options very well. It's either A or Z. There's not yes. all these Absolutely. other permutations in between the two. So I think there's ways to say, okay, we, you feel like you want to go. Okay, let's go. How can we mitigate the damage and the drama? How can we mm. at least... You know, going to the service is one thing. Living in a bed and breakfast with people that don't like us is another thing. Uh, You know, being in a room with somebody who has abused me at some point and there's been no relational repair done. Again, not healthy for either party. And so uh, that'd be, so the first choice is, is this really something you want to do and get her to think about that? And right now, Sarah's, Sarah's not having a problem with that. Sarah's staying as far away from things that trigger her as possible. And I actually love it. There's ways to mitigate things, too. There's a way to say, okay, let's take a different approach, maybe more costly, maybe whatever, but yeah, let's take a different approach to this so that you can be part of the thing you want to be a part of and hang with some of the people you want to hang with, but not necessarily hang with all the people, particularly those that have been destructive to you and unrepentant about it. So I've got an interesting twist to this. How do we untangle that... I would say almost Christianese language. And I don't even know what to call this. I don't even know where, but so for example, there's that as I've been navigating my own story with my family and I'm, as I'm continuing to grow in, in healing our relationship and also in an understanding of what I have capacity for in those relationships, there, this conversation comes up about forgiveness and the comment of, well, what's the purpose of Jesus's cross? What was the purpose of Jesus's death? Like they were like, shouldn't you forgive them? Shouldn't you get by it? It doesn't mean you necessarily forget, but shouldn't you be able to get by this and keep moving on? And that one is a nasty one. That one is very pointed. And it's a like, it's just a nasty little bug of, are you diminishing the work of the cross? Are you minimalizing the sacrifice that Jesus gave? Like, He's, you know, he's covered over all of those sins. He's covered over the abuser's sins. He's covered over the 
the mistakes that a person made in their past. Like, man, how do you untangle the life of Christ from that stuff? Like, cause that's junk. I mean, that's nasty, manipulative cr- junk. And usually that's coming from the power person in the dynamic in the faith community or family or whatever, mm. that's worried about how it's all going to look. That's all they care about. Right. Yeah. I, I had someone last week that was telling yeah. me, I, they didn't know about Sarah's trauma and I was talking about it with them a little bit and they said, well, you know, trauma is easy to get over. All you have to do is forgive. And I said, dude, don't ever talk to another <laughs> trauma based person as long as you live. And he goes, what? I said, eventually forgiveness will be a part of great freedom. But until you get to forgiveness, uh, there's a process that God undergoes with us so that it's not just a head thing we're trying to commit to. It's it's not blue pill fantasies. It's red pill reality. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, I I do think the, the religious constructs that we have built are for the powerful to dominate the weak mm-hmm. and to say to somebody who's been violated, but all you got to do is forgive and we'll just all go on like nothing happened is the problem. And I I would just say, you know what, that's not what this is about. Yes, forgiveness is absolute, it's great, whatever. It's being honoring to what's going on right now in the situation as it is. And we've got to respond in the way that we feel like is best for us. And I hope you understand that. But they won't because they're power people. But we use forgiveness as a weapon. The unviolated use forgiveness as a weapon instead of as a hope that God will bring you to the place to forgive, which does not mean the perpetrator gets access to your life again. It, mm. it does not mean that. Yeah, It never means that. Relational repair is very different than forgiveness. I can forgive requires nothing from the person who, who violated yeah. me. Yeah. But restoring the relationship, that's a process. Reconciliation, it's a beautiful process. I love it when God does it. I love it when people are open to it. But what they're asking you to do is take the blue pill and pretend. Mm-hmm. And I, I, religion is not about pretense, even a little bit, even to look <laughs> good, even to all the things these religious organizations and secular organizations did to cover up child sexual abuse because yeah. it's going to look bad. That'll tell you right there, that's all we care about. And so, yeah, then forgiveness is a weapon. You just yeah. need to forgive. I don't know why you're still holding that against them. That, you know, it's just a bad time. And it's not holding anything against anybody. Yeah. It's honoring my place of freedom. And I don't have the place to be there right now. Not with that. Hmm. And the body will show you that. And the heart will tell you that. And the mind will tell you that. And I think when you talk about bulldozing, the idea of not overriding any of that stuff and being able to say, even if I'm wrong, I'm going to err on the side of honoring my freedom. And I'm not going to err on the side of extending myself in a way that's going to be harmful to me or those I love. Mm. And that's a challenge. I mean, you've got to have a certain amount of fortitude internally. And usually people who've been traumatized don't have that. So often it's just easier to go along. So I guess we have conversations like this. It's to really encourage people to say, you know, I didn't want to do that. and I did it anyway. The next time maybe they'll say, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't. Yeah. And yeah, I might got branded bitter, hostile. It just doesn't matter what people label you. What matters is what's real inside your heart and how Jesus knows you. And when that becomes most important to people, then 
the power people lose all the power that they have to try to control because you're not dancing to their tune anymore. I really feel like this too is where honestly some of the spiritual warfare dynamic stuff comes in as well, because the accuser loves to bring in comparison. So it might point to somebody else who's farther down the road in freedom and say, look at the capacity they have. They have forgiven. They have moved on. They are reconciling the relationship. They are good. How can you not be there? What is wrong with you? And oh my gosh, I mean, those those mind games are brutal on somebody who is just learning how to be tender and kind and honoring to their heart and, and their window that they have the capacity for. But I don't know of any way to learn it except to learn it. You know, yeah. you can't go to basic training school and learn how to stand up for your heart, have, have compassion for yourself and not confuse it with being selfish. Selfish is a whole different thing. I'm only yeah. going to do everything that makes me happy. That's selfishness. Yeah. Selfishness is not, you know, if I go to this thing, it's going to be, it's going to devastate me. Mm. And I'm going to honor where I'm at in this process. If, if God has, it, it, there, there'll come a day when I'll be so free in that, that I'll be able to be in that environment and yeah. be fine. But yeah. I'm not there today. So I'm not trying to live to a freedom I don't have, or I'm not trying to live to Wayne's freedom or Kyle's freedom or anybody else's. I've got to live inside mine and that's why this on talk about all the time, this ongoing relationship with Jesus is so critical to say, mm-hmm. hey God, is this something you want me to be a part of? And if it is, how do you equip me? And if this isn't, and my body is screaming it isn't, then how do I honor that and let God carry me through the difficulties of being judged by others and being gossiped about by people I care about? Eventually it's not gonna matter to you. But that's yeah. That's after bearing some grief. I'd love to yeah. save you from it, but it it can't be saved. Um, control people are always going to make you pay a price when you don't conform to their idealization of what family should look like or faith community. And that's one of the things that really helped me from that Dante reading a year ago, how sin always idealizes something, even idealizes yes. a scripture or idealizes a, a vision of some kind. And then it, it frustrates us that we can't live to the ideal, and we were never yeah. meant to live to the ideal. We're meant to live to where we're at in the process today, and mm. that process will keep shaping us. So will more freedom come down the road? Yes, but comparing yourself to someone else's freedom, to somebody who's 70 years old and been living love for about 30 years or on that <laughs> journey, I, I have a great capacity now that I did not have even 10 or 15 years ago. I'll be the first to say it. And I think people are on that road. They realize, hey, if that's not where you are right now, don't take any pressure from me. Mm. Someone wrote me this week, just said, so appreciate in our conversations together. You've never, ever tried to tell me what to do. You make some observations, you ask some questions. And part of that, he was saying that I'd noticed that 20 years ago. And I'm going, wow, that's pretty incredible. I didn't know I was living <laughs> this way 20 years ago. But I know, and I didn't get there because Scripture taught me not to do that. I got there because trying to tell people what to do doesn't change lives. If they're not ready to do, and there is no right thing that everybody should do in the same situation, because it depends on you. It depends on where you're at in this journey and what you have capacity for, that difference in aspirational and capacity again. Yes, oh my gosh. Yeah, because we all aspire to things we can't live, and we have to learn how to live inside that space, and... That's that's a great that's a great freedom for people to live inside the process of God's working. 
when, when we put all the responsibility on us, like I have to grow, I have to stretch myself. I have to, yeah. I have to, I have to end up making really poor choices when we're really letting say, okay, this is his process and I'm willing to cooperate as much as I can. And if I can't get there today, I'm not going to, it's not, I, I'm not living to a standard or an expectation. I'm living inside of how he breathes his heart to me today. Yeah. And if you want me to go, make it clear and I'll go. If not, I'm going to lay it down and suffer whatever gossip ensues. And I feel like when, the more that I've been walking in this and learning this, the more I trespass on my own heart or on other people's hearts or trespass on situations, it's about me taking it into my own control. And there isn't that grace. There isn't that freedom. Rest, love, and play does not dwell there. It just doesn't. And yet even... Well, I'm finding even when I'm facing really challenging things, when I'm in that window, that's where grace that goes beyond understanding. That's where rest and even playful things that come up. I mean, looking at this situation versus what we just navigated with our daughter Eliana and going to the children's hospital and and her facing her mortality and all of that part. The two are so stark, diff- so stark in their differences in, in the way that I experience them because of, of where God's man, there was so much grace for what we were navigating with Eliana. And when I didn't have enough, God showed up when mm-hmm. um when I didn't have enough. It wasn't that God wasn't there and walking with us uh, this last weekend either. It wasn't that at all. But when I ignored what my body and my heart was telling me was a uh, was right, what the what the wisdom was for that, then I experienced the very real reality of it was painful. Like <laughs> there was, it was very painful, and I feel like Father, like in that, it was just like a reminder of Kyle. I do you know how deeply I care about your heart? How much I long for you to know the space of rest, love, and play. And that space, the breadth of where you can enjoy that will grow. To watch and recognize a, a time where I did ignore that and I did trespass on myself and it was it was pretty brutal. The humble response of that of like, okay, Lord, ouch. And yet your grace is still here. The invitation and the life that you have for me is still here. I can learn from it. I can grow and I can move forward in that. And, and there's a very real possibility that two years down the road, I might have the capacity for that. I love where we find grace in situations like that. When we're in something and there's grace because we're, we're inside of it at his behest and yeah. following him, it's a different kind of grace. Will his grace still be there when I've stepped outside my tolerance or slept outside something my body was telling me not to do, it'll be there, but in a different yeah. way. It's not going to be God waving his little magic wand saying, I'll make sure none of this hurts now. No, this is why I warned you away from this because I knew it would right. hurt, but I will be with you in the hurt always. There's no yeah. mistake I can make that God is not bigger than, but that doesn't mean I won't live through the pain of it as I'm learning not to do this to me again. This is why it's okay to make mistakes. This is why it's okay to go on this road knowing that I'm going to fall on my face a few times or I'm going to try something or I'm going to ignore something or whatever it might be. I'm going to mess up and that's okay. That that there is gracious resilience that comes. There is that, ouch, I did not pull back. I didn't remove all the pain when you ignored that nudge and you went into it anyway. 
that is a, a teacher and it's a very gracious teacher because that helps me understand if you would have removed all the pain and the suffering from that, I wouldn't have understood the gravity of the impact of not honoring the space that father has me in and not honoring and treasuring the hearts of both myself and my partners. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 